You are listening to Love, Maine Radio, hosted by Dr. Lisa Belisle and recorded at the studios of Maine Magazine in Portland. Dr. Lisa Belisle is a writer and physician who practices family medicine and acupuncture in Thompson. Show summaries are available at lovemainradio.com. Portland Art Gallery is proud to sponsor Love, Maine Radio. Portland Art Gallery is the city's largest and is located in the heart of the Old Port at 154 Middle Street. The gallery focuses on exhibiting the work of contemporary Maine artists and hosts a series of monthly solo shows in its newly expanded space, including Ingen Jorgensen, Brenda Sirioni, Daniel Corey, Jill Hoy, and Dave Allen. For complete show details, please visit our website at artcollectormain.com. Love, Maine Radio is also brought to you by Aristel, a lingerie boutique on Exchange Street in Portland's Old Port, where every body is seen as a work of art and beauty is celebrated from the inside out. Shop with us in person or online at aristel.com. Dr. Tony Owens is a physician in the emergency department at the Maine Medical Center and an advocate for the environment. In 2007, Dr. Owens joined the board of the Natural Resources Council of Maine after his fourth child graduated from college. Thank you for coming in today. Lisa, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you very much for having me. I must tell the people who are listening that you are one of my favorite teachers in the emergency room when I was a medical student and a resident. So I thank you for that because I think doctoring is a lot about teaching and it's a lot about um, helping the next generations to come move through the ranks. Well, th- thank you very much, Lisa. It, it, medical education is one of my passions, and I continue to do it because it brings so much uh, joy and pleasure. But I have to turn around and, and tell you that your dad was one of my uh, most important mentors very early in my career and continues to be an inspiration. So I guess it's all one big family. I think that's yeah. probably right. Actually, my dad was one of my teachers, too. Yeah. So I have a lot of... Uh, I have a lot of gratitude for yeah. all that he's done for, I guess, generations of us yeah. now. Don't we all? You're yes. Right. And he's now, he's still doing this. Mm-hmm. So this is a good thing. I'm, I'm really, um, I love the direction you have taken in your life with the environment, in part because I, too, am very passionate about what's going on in the environment. And I know that there are many physicians who have this interest, but not everybody who's taken it to the level that you have. So talk to me about this. Well, I, I think that when uh, my wife and I first moved to Maine in 1975 to complete my medical training, uh, the environment that we discovered in Maine just really resonated with me. And I think I've been committed to the protection of Maine's environment since those early days. But uh, as you mentioned in the introduction, in 2007, when our last child graduated from college in Maine at Bowdoin, um, it freed up some time and perhaps some resources that uh, had been spoken for up to that point. And it allowed me to go back to half time at my medical work and then uh, give me this additional time to commit to community service. And I think there's no higher calling in community service than protecting the environment uh, for ourselves and our children. So I was able to engage myself at that point with NRCM's board and they're a premier advocacy organization here in the state. And it's been a a wonderful and very fulfilling experience. As an emergency room doctor, you've dealt with, for example, um, children with asthma or older people with emphysema. And it must have occurred to you in the course of your medical work that there's a direct impact on what's going on outside as to what happens inside of our bodies. 
Um, absolutely, and uh, this could launch into a, a long monologue, but uh, very briefly, um, what we know is that we have one of the highest pediatric asthma rates here in Maine, in the country, and that uh, we have been unfortunately characterized as a tailpipe of the country, meaning that the exhausts from Midwestern power plants, often coal-fired, uh, sweep eastward with the prevailing winds and tend to exit our continent through Maine. And when that uh, dirty air gets uh, exposed to sunlight and moisture, it produces ozone. And there are many days, especially during the summer, where we have high ozone rates and that uh, increases, a, sees a spike, if you will, in emergency department visits and office visits for pediatric asthma, as well as older people with chronic lung disease. So that's, that's a, a real issue here. You, you wouldn't think that Maine has this problem, uh, but we do. Uh, my wife and I had considered a trip out to the West Coast this summer because we've never been to Oregon, and they're having some horrible forest fires. We didn't go, and they're complaining bitterly about the quality of their air, and I, I often think that you, maybe if more people had this experience to produce this dirty air, then we could all make progress in improving it. Is it because ozone is something that, unlike smog or smoke from forest fires, we don't see it, that this continues to be a problem that maybe we haven't been addressing as aggressively as we should? Yeah. I, I had the experience, um, a very interesting experience, a couple of years ago to go down to Washington, D.C. with a small group of Mainers from a diverse background, Democrats, Republicans, but we all had a shared commitment to improving Maine's environment. We had to had a chance to speak with our con congressional delegation. And I was actually asked to speak to this uh, Senate committee on uh, this very issue. And you're right, um, ozone and carbon dioxide are not, they're not, people don't realize that they're as powerful um, irritants as they can be at certain times. So um, I think there needs to be an awareness one of the pictures that I tried to paint was these tall smokestacks in the Midwest letting all this carbon dioxide high into the atmosphere away from that community only to be blown, as I mentioned earlier, eastward um, to air area where it becomes an issue. So yeah, I think we need more awareness. It's, it's a difficult issue to discuss because it's such a political wedge in our country right now that doesn't allow people to sit down and talk and understand one another's point of view, but yeah. Well, I don't want to get too much into politics because that can be a little difficult, but I have had the experience as one, I think, similar to you, that that there is this difficulty with communication between groups. And it's not that people who maybe supported the current president are anti-environment. Maybe it's that they didn't feel heard when they had concerns that they, they themselves wanted to have addressed. Mm -hmm. So how do we open up the conversation um, between the groups? Yeah, I, I wish I had the right answer or prescription for that. Um, I, I think that if we all have to have a change of heart and be willing to listen to one another, understanding that everybody has a, a valid point of view. Um, and then I think as those conversations get started and mature, we can hopefully gain better understanding. I'm sure everyone has legitimate points to make. I learned that with my, my trip down to D.C. Um, 
But nonetheless, I think there's certain fundamental facts that I, I need to try to find ways to bring to people in, in a fashion that they can understand and kind of bring them over. Um, so I, I try not to further those divisions. I'd rather find ways to bridge them. Uh, and conversation is one of the things we need to have. I think most people, probably 95% of us, really agree on many, many things. Uh, but we focus on that 5% where we disagree and it makes it hard to move further along. I think for me it it has been um, you know more than 20 years now of working with patients of all different sorts who come from all different backgrounds and um, the chance to have conversation and build rapport that has really given me the most insight into exactly what you're talking about that a lot of a lot of this isn't we aren't divided strictly it's you can never really assume by talking to someone that you know what their their viewpoints are yeah, yeah I, I, f I find that um, in my work as an emergency physician much of what I do is teaching or with uh, medical students and residents and I try to model behaviors hopefully that are positive and constructive and helpful but one of those things is to really focus on listening to patients pulling up a chair rather than lurching over people at the bedside is, is this sort of typical physician position um, to kind of better understand that I'm there to listen, uh, sit down, eye to eye contact. And I think those are important things that I think younger physicians are, need to learn. But I think that's all part of good communication and putting me as the physician sort of on an equal level with the patient so that we're all moving in the same direction and there's not an issue of hierarchy there but one of communication. And at the same time as you've said there are some things that we know about. I mean I can understand why a patient has been smoking for their entire life but at the same time it doesn't make it a good thing for their health. Yeah. So to try to continue to find ways to share that information about something that's potentially harmful yeah. is important, not unlike yeah. the stuff that you're talking about with the environment. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, I think that's one of the biggest public health issues we have is so much of what we do as physicians and things that our patients suffer with are kind of self-inflicted things where they need to make better choices. and. Um, we need to find better ways to help them make a better choice. Um, it sounds paradoxical, but I, I think that a sense of humor is an important piece of this dialogue. My dad used to work for Reader's Digest, and they, they had a section there, and I, I don't know if, if they're still in print or if they do, called um, Humor is the Best Medicine or something like that. And um, I'll try sometimes with patients when I want to cajole and urge them in a new direction that they've found challenging is to try to find some fun in this conversation that they can realize that I have a sense of humor and that they do too and that um, humor and happiness are part of healing. So, yeah. so how do you translate that into the work that you've done uh, with the environment? Uh, well, I think this mentioned earlier, having conversations with people is what advocacy is all about, whether it's going up to Augusta to testify before a, a House Senate subcommittee on a, a law or bill that you think is important, or some other group where you think that you would like to change their position or encourage them to push along with you. So. Um, listening to those points of view, finding out where those common themes, how can we work together, 
what questions do they have, what information do people need to make better choices. I think that's all part of that listening and conversation. So uh, I enjoy uh, taking young people up to Augusta when I find that there's a bill that they have an interest in. And uh, most recently, I took a young high school student up where there was a bill about uh, plastic waste in school uh, lunch program stuff. And uh, so she could speak to this from personal experience. And bringing young people into that conversation, um, I think, is a really important part of my advocacy. Because uh, I'm at the point where I'm not going to be around a whole lot longer. <laughs> and I would like to um, have a legacy of young activists that will continue to advocate for Maine's environment. What are some of the issues that you have been working on um, since you joined um, the board? Uh, NRCM has several areas of activity. One is currently climate and energy are very big. We've kind of worked for the solar bill and energy efficiency and clean air. And uh, we work from the northern forest. Uh, I've been very involved with this uh, Katahdin Woods and Waters National Monument, as well as helping the state agencies craft good regulations for the unorganized townships and make sure that those bills protect the, the main forest. We've done a lot with rivers and clean water, uh, involved very much with some of the dam removal in the Kennebec. Uh, we're a key player in the Penobscot restoration project, which is a huge uh, and uh, very involved in the mining bill that was finally uh, uh, passed in the legislature this year to try to protect the high quality waterways we have in Maine. Uh, we also have a rel little newer initiative on sustainability, which has really resonated, especially with younger people, uh, for healthy, sustainable communities, whether it's food waste, gleaning. We had a big event in Portland last year, or Feed the 5,000, where we kind of made uh, lunch for everybody with leftover food. Um, and we've been very involved on the federal level with uh, Senator Collins being such a key vote in the Senate. Um, Maine has kind of been put into a very pivotal position because who has better access to Senator Collins than Mainers? So um, she's bec we've become a conduit, if you will, to help, uh, help give Senator Collins uh, advice. <laughs> when she needs it. Uh, so those are the kind of the main topic areas. But it's an advocacy organization and we do a lot of our work in Augusta with the legislature and the, and the uh, state agencies. So this for you is, is an interesting departure in a way. There aren't a lot of doctors that are have decided that they want to get into advocacy, that they want to be testifying, that they want to be as involved in the governmental process as you are. Well, actually, we just um, had a new physician join our board, well, I'm pleased to say, from Belfast, Dr. Peter Millard. Uh, so he'll be a physician joining me. Uh, I actually think there's a number of physicians who have a passion. As you know, better than most, uh, it's a busy career, especially if you have a family as well and you're younger with all the commitments to go with that. As I'd mentioned in the introduction, I've had the benefit of having a little more freedom now that my children are uh, grown and educated and living uh, elsewhere to have the time to commit to this. It, it is my uh, 
my priority, so, um, and I have the time to do that. And I encourage physicians to do that. We have a, uh, a group in the emergency department that participates every winter on the, the eve of Jan or January, or December 31st, New Year's Eve. Uh, NRCM has a, uh, an event called the Dash and Dip where there's a 5K run around uh, Back Bay, and then at noontime, there's a dip in the East End Beach. And uh, I've, I'm distinguished in having done it, I think, for like seven years in a row now. And uh, so we have a team. It's a fundraiser as well as an awareness raiser, so that we have a lot of fun with that. And there's a lot of people who I work with day-to-day, shoulder-to-shoulder in the emergency department, who, when you're not talking about patients in emergency medicine, find, wow, they really have a passion for the environment. That's why they live in Maine. Uh, so that I think sometimes those people just need to be given a little space and an opportunity to, uh, to develop their advocacy. We started a program at NRCM a few years ago called NRCM Rising, which focuses on this under 40 demographic. And uh, I'll tell you, um, that I do not own a cell phone. I'm not a computer guy. So um, it, it, communicating with that younger demographic has always been a challenge for me. But uh, the NRCM Rising has its own methodology in, to recruit them. So their Dash and Dip team is now our biggest competitor with the our emergency department team. So we have a fun back and forth on that. But so, so there's a lot of fun in this advocacy thing. I think there's a lot of opportunities, physicians, nurses, ED techs, physician's assistants, uh, our whole ED staff kind of pulls together and it's engaged in this. It's a lot of fun. Was there anything about your earlier years when you were growing up that caused you to feel drawn towards environmental issues? Um, I'm old enough, Lisa, that I actually had polio as a child. Uh, I contracted polio before um, they had the vaccines. So um, my childhood through the pre-elementary and early elementary years, I sort of, I did, I did well, uh, but uh, I was watched very closely. So my parents kind of shepherded where I went and what I did, and I developed a close relationship with a young friend in elementary school who lived on a farm. This was in Delaware. And uh, I would go out to his farms on the weekends. That was supposed to be kind of a healthy experience for me. And he and I really just enjoyed being out in the woods wandering around. And I think it kind of, the seeds were planted. We would catch frogs and, and do all kinds of outdoorsy things. And then when my family moved to Connecticut and I actually saw forests and hills, so wow, this, this, I love that. And then the opportunity to come to New Hampshire for college in Maine, ultimately, it seems like it's been this journey and I, I feel like I finally found my home. Uh, I, I believe if you remember back in the 1980s when the Maine Times was being published, uh, they had a series of articles on this concept of bioregionalism, uh, which I strongly believe in. And I think that Maine is kind of my bioregion, and I'm sort of connected through my DNA and very happy to be here. So I've, it's kind of been a journey, uh, but I feel that my advocacy has matured now, and, and, uh, and I've found the right things to be doing and the right way to do it. 
how do your children approach the environment? I'm interested in this because I have children who are college. I have one who's in medical school. I have one who's finishing high school in a couple of years. And it's a, it, it feels different to me the way that they look at the world, which makes sense. But I wonder if you've had a similar experience. Um, well, I can tell you that all of my children have been supportive of the work that I've done in the environment. They sort of make space for that. They'll roll, roll their eyes from time to time. Uh, they'll go up into log cabins and spend Christmas holidays with my wife and I with a wood stove and, and sort of some different things. Um, so they've, they've, had, they've been part of this journey with me. One of my children is actually uh, on the board of the Cape Elizabeth Land Trust. So I feel that the, he's sort of been bitten by the same bug. Um, so I, I think that I, I th think that they know this is important to me. I think that they're in that busy phase of life, raising children's, um, furthering their careers. Um, so it's a little more difficult for them to express it fully, but I'm hoping that as time allows, as they get further along and have a little more space, um, they'll, they'll also be good advocates. I think they live responsibly now, um, so I, I think that they're participants in this, um, in this advocacy, but uh, yeah. I think, uh, I feel the same way that you do, and one of the things that I've noticed with my own children is that before there was a lot more of trying to convince people that maybe composting is a good idea, or maybe we should be careful about our plastics consumption. But the nice thing about this day and age is we're still convincing people, but more and more people who are younger have been raised with these ideas, and they're saying, well, of course. Of course we want to engage in um, buying local foods. Of course we want to try and keep our waters clean. And so it, at least as we continue to try to advocate for, for things that are important with the environment, at least we've made some small steps. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my wife and I, um, about that same time when I went halftime, uh, I, I uh, also uh, agreed to build this building at the Cape Elizabeth Elementary School as an outdoor classroom for the elementary school. And I, I wanted to make the structure entirely um, from main wood and products. And I, my goal was to design a building that was so interesting that kids couldn't stop looking at it when they were there. I didn't want to just make a shed. So I couldn't design this, but I had some help from friends and we came up with this octagonal post and beam structure, which, um, which we built over the course of the year. And then we built some raised beds. So my wife has been involved with a gardening project with the elementary school for the last 10 years. And it's really fun to see these younger children learn about seeds and germination and plants growing. But what surprises me is how much they already know um, through their parents and their friends and their, their preschool, I guess. So I, I think that this consciousness is there. It just needs to be nurtured and supported. Um, and these, this next generation, I think, is, is gonna do very well if we can continue to uh, give them the environment to work with. And I agree with you that the, the tangibility and the, the living within the space is also very important. So when you're describing um, being out on a farm when you're younger and sort of progressively heading towards the trees, I think that if you're a child and your environment involves watching things grow, 
or seeing the water go by, I think that that makes a difference as to how you feel about your place in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, absolutely. I'm, I'm, as I said earlier, I'm not much of a computer person, but I'm always, um, my wife and I are constantly, oh my gosh, everybody, here you are at the dinner and everybody's looking at their cell phone rather than talking with one another or seeing things around them. And I, I, it's a world I can't imagine, uh, but I know what's happening. I just want to make the, uh, the real world as interesting for people as I can by pointing out things, but whether it's a wildflower walk or an owl thing or talking about beekeeping or other things, to make this world that we live in a tangible living thing that I find fascinating and engaging far more than anything a computer could do for me. Uh, to try to make that experience because I think that this whole issue of artificial intelligence and the direction the world's going um, is a little scary to me and I think that if we did get completely into that world we would maybe lose advocacy and the environment would no longer become as important. I think that would be the wrong direction for the world to go in so I'm pushing back against that. I agree with you, and I also know that sometimes I will look at my child and I'll think, why is she on her cell phone? But then two seconds later, she'll tell me that she just pulled up some research that has to do with something that's related to some topic. She's not looking at the Kardashians. She actually wants to learn about the first Earth Day or you know, some of the initial legislation that was put out. Um, surrounding environmental issues. So I think that it would be great if we could continue to keep people in touch with what's going on outside of them and then use these new tools or relatively new tools to kind of deepen their understanding of the history Mm -hmm. and um, the types of things that came before them that you wouldn't be able to research if you didn't have access to this sort of thing. Yeah, I completely agree. And it's not that I don't use computers. I, I use them, as you well know, at work continuously. And they are a wonderful tool, uh, but they're not a substitute for experience. And I think that's where I draw the line. If I, if I feel like I need, if I need to be something experiential and grounding, I, I need to be outside getting my hands dirty and my feet wet. Um, not, I don't, sitting in front of a computer is not a, an entertainment for me. It's something I would do to, to learn something. I, I'm, on, I'm on the same page. <laughs> and it's funny, I've seen in medicine, I remember um, when they started using, for example, um, monitoring for women in labor, and they would monitor the heart rate and the contractions for the women in labor. And it was, it was such a great tool that there was a time where then we all pulled back and we would watch the women in labor from the nurse's station rather than go in and actually be with a laboring woman. Mm-hmm. And I think we've come back around again. And the nurses, of course, weren't really the ones who were doing that. It was really more, in my experience, the doctors. And I think we need to keep remembering mm-hmm. that these tools that we have, they're just tools and yeah. not to use them as something in between us mm-hmm. and what's alive, but also to use them as something that enhances our experience mm-hmm. and to still keep touching and being aware and, and using the information from our own senses. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. It would be it would be interesting, it, no it wouldn't, it would probably be frightening to go back to the practicing a day in medicine like I did 25 years ago before the, the electronic medical record and oh my gosh, it's almost too scary to imagine the efficiencies that we have now. But I don't know if the medicine I practice is any better, if my patients are any better, 
maybe I can do more of it, but I, um, it's a tool. I'll leave it at that. So. Well, I'm hoping that uh, the people who are in medical school now will continue to kind of work on all of the positive things that have been put in place that you and I have experienced mm-hmm. over the last few decades. Mm-hmm. So if you had any... Um, if you had any goals or any, I guess, aspirations for the Maine and the environment, or say over the next 10, 20, 50 years, what would they be? Um, wow, that's great. I, I, uh, I love the North Woods, even though I live here in Southern Maine on the shore. Um, when I go to the North Woods, and I do often to hunt and to fish, um, it's just that sort of bioregionalism exploding and I really feel grounded. I also love the coast in Penobscot Bay and sailing. I love it here in Casco Bay. So I guess one of my uh, goals would be to preserve the quality of place that we have in Maine. It's also one of the missions of NRCM. Not surprising we share that. Uh, but I think that we're so uniquely positioned that Maine it remains an iconic place in so many people's minds. Uh, if you go up to Acadia and, and meet the, this whole multicultural group of folks that come visit there uh, from around the world, you realize that Maine is special. And I would like us to see us use that leverage and that bully pulpit of being a special place to be a leader in, in the environment and how we protect our waters, how we value clean air. Um, how we work with technology and efficiency to have a healthy environment. And, uh, and with um, some of the wonderful leaders we have in Maine and we've had in the past, uh, that we can be leaders in this conversation we talked about early in our conversation, how we can pull the country back together. Um, I think we're in a wonderful position to do that. I don't think people look at Maine as being partisan one way or the other. I think we're well positioned to be leaders in that healing process in the country and protect our environment at the same time. I've been speaking with Dr. Tony Owens, who is a physician in the emergency department at Maine Medical Center and an advocate for the environment, also on the board at the Natural Resources Council of Maine, also a teacher of mine, and also one of our 50 Mainers for 2017. I know that you're a very busy individual. I really appreciate the time that you have taken uh, to come and speak with me today, but I also appreciate all the work that you've been doing. Thank you, Lisa. The pleasure's been all mine. Love, Maine Radio is brought to you by Maine Magazine, Aristel, Portland Art Gallery, and Art Collector Maine. Audio production and original music are by Spencer Albee. Our editorial producers are Paul Koenig and Brittany Cost. Our assistant producer is Shelby Wasik. Our community development manager is Casey Lovejoy. And our executive producers are Kevin Thomas, Rebecca Falzano, and Dr. Lisa Belisle. For more information on our production team, Maine Magazine, or any of the guests featured here today, please visit us at lovemainradio.com.